We are making our way uh, through this uh, portion of God's uh, Word. The text can be found on page 874. I'd encourage you to open it up in the Pew Bible, that black Pew Bible in front of you. Luke 15. Our guide is Luke. Luke, a physician. Luke is also a historian. And, uh, and he sought to describe and to document uh, many, not all, but many of the things that, uh, that God wants to come into focus concerning the person and work of Jesus. And where we find ourselves as he's been documenting this is Jesus is in the last weeks, if not months, of his life. And uh, he is moving towards Jerusalem. And we have found at different points in times where Jesus has turned and said, listen, uh, I, I need you to count the cost. That was last week uh, to, to, you know, to assess whether you're ready uh, to follow him, because it will mean uh, a very high cost. But there's also things involved with that that, uh, you know, we just cannot see. But to walk by faith and not by sight is a, a blessed thing because of the, the promise, the precious promise of the gospel. And I want to say right out of the gates initially uh, that that's what we came to celebrate this morning. The, the gospel is the power of God. Uh, this is what uh, we know St. Uh, Paul was inspired of God said. It's the power of God for salvation for all. Anyone, regardless of your background, regardless of, of what you've done, that you can, for all those who believe, it is the power of God for salvation. Uh, the word literally means, gospel means good news. And that good news is amplified. It is highlighted and underscored in contrast to the bad news. So the bad news reality of our story and our struggle is that all of us to a person uh, is turning inwards. We are, we're guilty. We are sinful. We're probably worse than we realize. I, I know that's true for me. I know that's probably not what you wanted to hear. Uh, and I'm just getting started on things that are going to be offensive this morning. And, and, and they're coming from Jesus, okay? So, you know, you need to argue with him. And uh, I am glad that God, even in my sin, has pursued uh, me, that he is a God of love and relationship. And here in the, the Gospel of Luke chapter 15, we have three stories. We have three short stories. They're parables that Jesus told. This is a sermon that Jesus gave in response to his critics. And I'll highlight more of, of who that involves here in just a second. The last of those three parables at the end of chapter 15, which hopefully you have open in front of you, is the most famous short story in all of human history. And that is the story of the prodigal son. And we'll dig in on that and it's going to get its own attention and time. So uh, by all means, uh, feel free to come back next week. Last weekend, by the way, the, the, the headings here would be, uh, you know, for the three parables are the lost sheep, the lost coin and the lost son. The lost son is the parable of the, the prodigal that we'll read of next week. Last weekend, I had a chance to gather with some other leaders and pastors and, uh, and I was there for, for some of the meeting portion. They were going to have a worship service with a sermon at the close. And I wasn't able to be there because I, I cut out early to see one of our kids' school performances. And in doing that, I um, uh, later had a friend of mine say, oh, you missed the sermon. It was really good because, you know, Pastor Greg Hills, you know, gave a great sermon. He actually mentioned you in the sermon. And, uh, and it was kind of woven into a, a story about you guys' travels together in Bangladesh. And, so it's, you know, well, now I really want to listen to the sermon, you know, I'm in it. And uh, maybe you have that experience, like, you know, it's the end of the school year, you know, it's like you get the, you get the yearbook. What's the first thing you do? 
busted. Come on. You know exactly what you do. You go, I used to take, I go to the index and find, where's Troy Albee? You know, and where, where am I in the story? So I want you, as we, as we open up God's word, as we listen here, uh, Jesus has got this famous sermon and, and you're in there. You're, you're at least represented in some form or fashion. So dial in and listen. Our custom here is, uh, in, in honor of God's word and to get your blood flowing one more time is to stand. Uh, so we're going to do that just briefly as we read these first 10 verses. Hear this. This is the word of God. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. That is Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbling, grumbled, saying, This man, pointing to Jesus, receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them a parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Verse 8. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is... Joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. God's word. Thanks be to him. You may be seated. So I'm going to ask for God's help. So in the spirit of prayer, if you wouldn't mind joining me. Uh, Father, we do ask that right now you would be pleased to, to guide us by your spirit. So that we would be, uh, we would be learning and that we would be loving. But we, we need something that isn't soft and sentimental. We need something that is solid and so we're, we're trying to find refuge and to, to build upon the rock and the redeemer that you are, Jesus. Would you forgive us right now our sins, especially the one who speaks, for they are many, through Christ. Amen. So did you locate yourself in the two parables somewhere? Hopefully you don't think you're Jesus. We don't need people with the Messiah complex here, you know. Jesus welcomes everybody, except for people who think they're Jesus. Uh, no, uh, Jesus welcomes all. Uh, maybe you, maybe you have any tax collectors in the house that did, didn't, didn't think you would raise your hand anyway. Uh, there's a totally different category of tax collector, and I'll talk about that in a moment and what that really means in first century uh, Judaism. Did you see or hear yourself? Maybe you, well, you already know you're not a Pharisee. You don't want to be aligned with them. That's always like a bad word. Most everybody knows that Pharisees like, ooh, there's almost like a side that we, we have. Maybe you're the person who identifies with having lost something. Some of you are maybe a little bit better at doing that than other people. There's always one person in the family, right, who has a tendency to lose. Don't, 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 nod any, don't, don't look at anyone. Don't nod anyone in your family right now. But if you've lost your keys, um, I know somebody, go see Paul. Um, <laughs> what about sinner? Was that one that you identified with? You see the term here, or well, even the teachings here, we look at what, what has been recorded here. There's this, this group that's grumbling. In this parable... 
we find out that what we identify with is the lost sheep and the lost coin. Whether we like it or not, there is maybe right this moment or at a season in our life, we have been lost. Just to kind of divide this up, I've got three headings, which are three questions. Why the grumbling? Who is searching? And how are we to be responding? I listed them there in the order of service. Why the grumbling? Well, the Pharisees, the scribes that are mentioned in verse 2, or they're murmuring as some translations render it, they're part of the religious establishment. They're religious leaders. They know God's law. They take it very seriously. They're also known to be very self-righteous about their adherence to that law. They have a position of power and influence, and they do not like Jesus. He's a threat to them. He's a threat to some of their power and their influence. And so constantly we've been reading this already in the Gospel of Luke. They're trying to undermine Jesus. They're trying to trap him. So they are opposed uh, to Jesus. But Jesus isn't opposed to associating with them. He's perfectly fine. Uh, He's constantly, we see it time and time again, he's glad to associate and have a meal with them. That was the the whole of last chapter. In chapter 14 was a meal with one of these religious leaders and scribes. But why are they grumbling, verse 2? Well, because of verse 1. And that is the tax collectors and the sinners who were drawing near to Jesus. And Jesus doesn't seem to be correcting and pushing them or condemning them or, or disassociating with them. The Pharisees are the type that like to have kind of an us and them mentality. You know, that has a, a community where there's the, the, you know, the outcast and then there's the in crowd. Those who are morally inferior and dirty that we don't want to associate with. And those who are, so to speak, clean and part of the superior moral group. The term here, sinner, that Jesus uses, is something that could be, you know, applied to a variety of people. It could simply mean the common uh, the common people, or it could be those who stand out who are noticeably uh, immoral, but they're clearly people who are not walking in God's way. And then you have the tax collector, right? The tax collector is the most hated and perhaps the most wealthy person in that, that given community. Maybe just for a moment you can set aside how you feel your views and your feelings about taxes, Okay, maybe that's not possible, but anyway, just follow with me. In those days, this is a totally different sphere. You know, in the Roman community, the Romans who had occupied, you know, they're, they're the ones who, who tend to oppress, but they even used some of the Jews to go and collect the taxes. So these tax collectors from time to time would actually take a whole, uh, a whole segment and say, I'll go collect taxes there. They would agree upon a price for what that would be, but then they could collect on top of that. And so the tax collectors could go into an area and through means of deceit or, the, you know, or, or uh, you know, whatever, you know, whatever extortion they wanted, they could steal. These are cheaters. They're, they're liars. They're swindlers. They're thieves. They're really traitors because they're Jews who are taking from their own people to give money to Rome and Caesar. The Jews weren't even in that day were not even allowed to go into the temple, even though they were part of God's people. And so. So we now know what the problem is with Zacchaeus, right? The, the wee little man, right? Zacchaeus' problem was in his stature, it was his occupation. He was a tax collector. But Jesus goes and enjoys a meal with him. We find that out later in the Gospel of Luke. That's just over the top. That's, that's, that is for, the, for the, the, the Pharisees and scribes grumbling here. That's just too much compassion. That's just the wrong area. Jesus loves the rich and the poor, the, the outcast. It's too much. 
But of course, their, their grumbling is a bit of irony for those of us who are listening. It says here that Jesus, this is good news. Jesus receives sinners and eats with them. That's good news for me. Hopefully you feel the same way. Do you see yourself that way? Now I'm going to start to step on some toes. Do you see yourself? Do you imagine? Do you conceive of you're lost? Are you needy in some way? Maybe everything in your life is completely in focus. Or maybe it's just around the corner. Think about that. How do you feel? Maybe you have just about everything you want. It's going smooth most days. But are there places and are there times that you're troubled in your conscience? Or you're troubled with contentment or a lack of contentment? In the summer of 2005, 60 Minutes, uh, a correspondent with them, Steve Croft, uh, sat down with uh, a New England patriot who happens to be uh, my age, just a few hours separated from me. He's got slightly more talent on the football field than I do. His name's Tom Brady. Heard of this guy? Of course you have. In the interview with Tom Brady, he's talking with Tom about his success on and off the field. And he said something that surprised, I think, many people in regard to how satisfied he was with this. Now, I'm reading from the transcript here, but this is what Brady says. There's times when I'm not the person that I want to be. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I've reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I think God. It's got to be more than this. I mean, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. I'm 27. And what else is there for me? And the interviewer, Croft, said, well, what's the answer? And Brady's response was, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Now, I don't know where Tom Brady is now. But that's not... He's in Tampa yet, so there's a lot of people aching about that one. He used to be a patriot, now he's a traitor buccaneer. It's not not in view. It doesn't matter. The question is, where are you? Because I'm, I'm telling you the good news, and that is to surrender to Jesus. To to surrender to God, our creator, and to Christ, our redeemer, there is peace. There is life. There is forgiveness. As one author I read recently, Dane Orland, puts it so well in a devotional on the Psalms, he writes, consider what Christianity actually is. Right? Not not just an augmenting of a life that's already so wonderful and I just need a, a little more instruction. No. Consider what Christianity actually is. It's turning from every hollow pleasure of the world to real joy. Solid joy, not empty excitement. The kind of deep happiness that makes us truly human, which we long for and stumble around seeking to find, but often miss. And why? Why do we miss it? Even if you're at the pinnacle of what anyone in America might define as success... Why? Why do we miss it? It's because we are all lost 
at least at some point or another, but we're all still at the end, sheep. Now, sheep, don't think of the cuddly, you know, fuzzy, wonderful animals. In case you didn't know, sheep stink, right? And, and, and sheep bite. Uh, but, but even more than that, it's to understand how low of an intelligence they are. This is actually to say that we are sheep, and the Bible says it here and elsewhere, is actually in some ways a spiritual insult. I don't know how else to describe it. Sheep are stubborn. Sheep are dumb. Sheep wander away. There's a reason that they breed dogs to run these things and herd them around. They will walk off following one sheep, not the dog, sheep right off of a cliff. It's not good. There's a reason also that here in our text, look at it again in verse 5. What does the shepherd do when he finds it? Well, sure, he's excited, but he takes it and he puts it over his shoulders. That's because a shepherd, to find a sheep, he doesn't find the sheep having been gone long, 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 long way away from home and says, oh, would you please just follow me home? The sheep won't do it. The sheep has to be put down on the ground, legs tied together. And that's why it says, verse 5, he throws it over his shoulder and carries it home. The sheep is not willing, like a dog would, to just head on home and follow back. The sheep is wandering off. And the sheep wandering off and us being like that is not something that is comical. It's not something that's cute. It's a moral problem. There's a tragedy and there are threats associated with being lost sheep. It's the prophet Isaiah who writes in chapter 53, All we like sheep have gone astray and we have turned every one of us to his own way. That, that involves iniquity, sin. We've all said it. God, I'm so glad. I'm glad, I'm glad you're in my life. At least for the protection and the provision but hey, listen, God, I've, I've got this. I've got all this under control. I'm fine without you. Sure, I'll acknowledge you. But could we just keep you at arm's length? I got this. I can be independent. I don't need your law and I certainly don't need your wisdom. We can be lost and very far from God, but you're never too far. Oh, but you can also be very in your estimation, very close to God, religious, dutiful, moral, certainly better than whoever it is that you compare yourself down the street to. But you can actually be close in religious terms to God and still lost. We'll discover that more next week with the parable of the prodigal sons. Perhaps you're here and you may think or feel that you've been pursuing God. But then you realize now that you're more like sheep or even more so like a coin, hopeless and still and unable. That it's actually to, to really enter into what Jesus is trying to say in this parable is to acknowledge, to learn something of how we contribute nothing to our salvation. That he is the one who in the name of love pursues you and me. So that leads to this next question, and that is, who is searching? Jesus doesn't say it here explicitly, but he does elsewhere. He makes it abundantly clear that he is the good or the chief shepherd. There's two people here searching, 
And they give us a picture of how God operates and even how God feels. There's a deep and a sincere intent to this search. The coin and the sheep are of immense value. This is not a, a pet owner, right? We know how pet owners you know, work. I mean, it can be pretty desperate, but you, you know, at some point you, you feel like you have no other choice but to put your dog up on you know, social media or you know, back in the day that you, know, you, you put your sign up, lost dog or you know, lost cat. Has it ever thought... Has it ever occurred to you that, you know, maybe cats just just wanted to leave? (laughs) Anyway, dogs can come back, right? They can find their way back. Sheep cannot. They will not. And the shepherd doesn't. That's not God's pursuit. It's not like God said, hey, can I just enlist some other people's help? I got to sign up. Could you? No, God doesn't stop until he finds you. Sometimes he almost has to make it uncomfortable. He has to bring us to the end of ourselves to see our need to come home. Again, Zacchaeus, remember, we read of this later in Luke 19. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. For the son of man came. And here's his mission, here's his purpose, to seek and to save the lost. And what happens when, when, not if, when God finds those who are precious to him? Well, God experiences joy. Joy inexpressible. A joy that is, and that's the common denominator. From the maid, from the woman who's who's trying to find the coin, to the shepherd who's trying to find the sheep. Both of them, if you look again at the text carefully, verse 5 and verse 6, what does the shepherd do? He finds it, lays it on his shoulder, he's rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Same thing with the maid, same thing with the woman. She says to her family and friends, come and rejoice in me. You know what I'm talking about. It's like when you're at a celebration of, of, of a wedding and you, you, you know there's... There's, there's stories told and there's humor and there's, there's delight and you meet eyes with someone across the table. It all, all the more adds to the sweetness and joy of that celebration, doesn't it? That's what's happening when a sinner comes home and repents. It's a beautiful picture where God pursues and then experiences joy even over us as rebellious sinners. A friend of mine recently told me a story. It's about a boy with a sailboat. I have a small sailboat, so I kind of resonate with the story, but there was a young boy. He had dreamed of the ocean, but his family was of lesser means. And so his father said, well, I'd like to build a toy sailboat with you. And so together they, they worked, they labored for quite some time to build this sailboat, carefully crafting all the details. And when they had finished, the boy would take it out uh, to a local stream or a river and he would place it in and then he would, he would run downstream and catch up to it and just watch it float along. Brought him a great deal of joy. One day after a particularly, stro- uh, particularly strong rainstorm, the current, I don't know that he could see it, was a bit too strong. And he placed his prized boat in the stream and it just flowed and flowed and flowed all the way out ahead of him. He couldn't catch it. It went to the ocean. He thought it was gone forever until... One day he's walking through town and he sees, lo and behold, in the store, at the toy store, in the window, there it is, 
his precious sailboat. He goes in, sure enough, he knows all the details. He's the one who crafted it. He's very familiar with this boat. He says to the owner of the toy store, look, this is mine. And the owner says, well, that's all fine and well. You may think that, but you're going to pay the same price as everybody else. And the young boy says, well, it doesn't matter. And he goes home and he breaks his piggy bank and he says, it doesn't matter to me. I'll pay whatever the price is. And then he got home and he took that sailboat and he held it up. And he says, you're mine twice. You're mine twice because I made you and I bought you. Friends, you are not your own. And I know... Some of you may identify like me. You, you could say there are times that I wanted to just drift all the way away and be independent. And yet, here is God searching and finding those who belong to Him. The Bible says clearly in 1 Corinthians 6, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. God has made you and He has bought you and that with His precious blood. Isaiah 53, remember I read it earlier about the sheep. We all like sheep have gone astray. You've turned every one of us to our own way. And then it goes on to say this. And the Lord has laid on him the Savior that is promised, the iniquity of us all. We, we hear that read at Christmas, don't we? The promise of a Messiah to come. What's so unique about Jesus? The prophecy of a coming Messiah is a savior of sinners. And when Jesus reaches the end of his life, which we'll read of in a few weeks, here he is at Passover. It's the Last Supper. And yes, there's bread. And yes, there's wine. And yes, they're there to celebrate. But there's no lamb at the meal. Why? Because he's the lamb. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is the Good Shepherd who becomes a Lamb so that we might be found and forgiven and restored. He lays down His life, Jesus says, for His sheep. And they know His love, His voice, and His joy. How on earth? You, you, you know, you, you would just have to ask yourself the question. It takes a measure of audacity Or at least the authority for Jesus to say, I know what the Father thinks. I know what's going on in the throne room of grace to say, I know that they rejoice over sinners. How does he know that? Except that he is the one who came down. He is the one who has authority and knowledge because he is the God man. So here's my last question. How are we to be responding to that? His pursuit, his joy. Well, I think it's obvious we have no reason to be like the Pharisees. And that is, we have no reason to grumble. That God loves and associates with people that we might disdain and disassociate with. And we shouldn't. Or maybe you you identify that way. You think of yourself as unworthy or unlovely. Or maybe if you think you are independent, you are not worthy. But then... You don't hear the voice of the shepherd and you don't know the joy of the owner of the coin. The rejoicing is the affection and the celebration for the sinner who is lost, who's come back to the one. Even if just one is repenting, we read of in verse 7 and verse 10 in both of those parables. And to bring it even more to a point, those who might grumble, 
It says that they rejoice over the one as opposed to those who have no need of repentance. Jesus says, if you look there in verse 7. Translated, those who don't think they need repentance. Those who think they've got it all together. Jesus is saying, that's not them. They won't see their need. They'd never acknowledge that they're lost. They have no, they, they're not crying out for mercy. They won't know it. Jesus says this elsewhere so clearly. Luke 5, Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a, of a physician, but those who are sick. Jesus came for those who are sick, who are lost, who know themselves to be in need of a physician and a good shepherd. Is that you? Do you see yourself as lost and needy? By the way, a lot of times people who are lost don't know they're lost. Let's again be clear about the mission of Jesus. Jesus didn't come to make people a little bit nicer. Jesus didn't come into the world to encourage others to coexist and to recycle. Jesus didn't come here to conscript people into some great social cause, as great as that social cause may be. We don't need a teacher. We don't need a a philosopher. We don't need a moral guru. We need a savior. And he said it, I came to seek and to save the lost. And when he does, there's a celebration, a collective celebration, like I said earlier, that we can't even fathom. It's the kind of joy that's multiplied in the presence of others. Like the wedding feast, as I mentioned. Jesus, primarily, his primary goal is to show his love. This is revealed very clearly elsewhere in Revelation chapter 3. When it says, Jesus, and I quote, says, Those whom I love, I correct and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. That sounds relational. That doesn't sound detached. It sounds like Jesus desires relationship. And the avenue and the means, the fitting order of the day. You think, how could we respond to this? Well, you could say, well, it would be a good thing to celebrate that Jesus is so remarkably welcoming. <laughs> that, that, that Jesus loves sinners. That is, yes, indeed, part of it. You could say, well, it's important too that we join him on mission and gather others to taste and see the sweetness of our good shepherd and savior. Yes, no doubt about it. He is patterning for us a way of living. But the order of the day, at any day, at any point, is for us to repent. Repentance is turning away from sin and self And it's turning toward God. Repentance is an ongoing life-giving, painful as it may be, reality. It's not penance. It's not earning. It's not proving. It's not amassing weights on the scale in the other direction from all the bad things I've done. Repentance, what does it even look like or sound like? It's a grace of God. It's evidence of the grace of God. If, if, If someone were to repent, if any of us at any time were to turn and say... How does it even sound? God, I was, you're right. I was wrong. God, I have been trying to do this on my own strength, on my own terms. And it's not working. Repentance sounds, it's not. Think about the distinction, right? All of us have mistakes 
and all of us have things in life that we regret, we're not talking about regret. We know what the Bible even makes this distinction of what is worldly sorrow and what is good, true, godly sorrow. Worldly regret is like, oh, I'm sorry that I messed up again. I'm sorry, I'm, you know, I'm sorry if. Fake apology. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry for the consequences. I'm sorry that I'm so embarrassed. I'm sorry that this will go on my record. I'm sorry, but this is not repentance. Repentance says, I want your ways, not my ways, God. I'm not worthy. I'm spiritually weak and poor and needy. Lord, have mercy on me. I'm lost. You may not think that you're worthy. Well, God disagrees. You may think that God is distant or disinterested. He's not. He loves you. He loves you. And today, if you hear his voice, surrender and trust him with your whole self. There is joy. Pray with me. Father, we are grateful today that we can actually talk to our creator, that we can relate to you as a heavenly, tender Father, thank you so much for loving us, even adopting us into your family. I pray that you would guide us, God, away from loving and serving ourselves. Lord, forgive us for not loving you with our whole self and not loving our neighbor as ourself. Lord, we look at the world and we see confusion and we see conflict and we, our hearts ache. And Lord, this day we especially think of people the people of Ukraine who are displaced, uh, who are suffering because of the effects of war. And it's not only there, it's other parts of the world where there's such conflict. I do pray that you would bring peace, that you would comfort those, especially those who grieve. Lord, we do thank you today for mothers. We pray for expecting mothers in our church and their precious unborn children. We pray your blessing on mothers You give them strength and joy in their calling. Lord, we're especially grateful for mothers and grandmothers who have helped us to nurture our faith. We also, at this day, remember and lift up, pray your mercy on those who are grieving today for various reasons, whether they're missing their mothers or grieving the loss of children or those who long to be mothers. Would you please comfort and pour out your grace and mercy. Lord, help each one of us to a person to see what you see, to walk in your wisdom and your ways that we might not be lost, but be found. For all this, we pray in the name of our Savior, who taught his disciples together, saying, Our Father.